Well, today we're going to look at when Christians sin, when Christians do dumb stuff. I, when I was a young lieutenant, I had my platoon going through some training out off Coronado Island in Southern California. And uh, one of the things we did was uh, rubber boat training. We went out into the Pacific, and then our boats were uh, turned loose, and then we had to take our boats and row them back ashore. And, and once in a while, a big wave would pick one of them up, and it would be turned over and so on. And while we were getting ready to do that, uh, we went through some advanced classroom training to get us ready, and there was a big old uh, crusty Navy chief that was leading us through that process, and he told us, he said, you know, you need to know that the sharks are busier this year than we've seen them in quite some time. And so they're liable to be out there as you're coming ashore. And if your rubber boat turns over, you just may encounter one of those sharks. He said, if that happens, if a shark swims up next to you, hit him in the nose with the heel of your hand. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. He said, hit him in the nose with the heel of your hand, and that should drive him away. He said, but if that doesn't work, you just take your leg and jam it down his throat just as far as you can. And then he said, of course, you can only do that twice. I think he was just messing with us. Well, doing dumb stuff. Is kind of what we're talking about for a while this morning. Our text is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 17, the first part of verse 17. We find that the church at Corinth had a problem, and the problem there was sin in the church, Christians doing dumb stuff. A lot of members claim to be followers of Christ, but they would not let go of the ungodly world. They wanted to have it both ways. They wanted to claim to be Christians, but they wanted to keep on doing the old stuff that was not godly. They wouldn't let go of the ungodly world. So Paul writes to uh, try to clean up the mess that they were in, and he wanted to tell the, un, the, the faithful members to be separate from the others. And therefore, uh, we, we come up with the title, Come Out and Be Separate. He wanted the faithful members to be separate. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17 says this. I'm reading from the New International Version. It said, Do not be yoked together, with unbelievers. Now, y'all are used to that verse having to do with marriage, right? Don't get married to somebody who's not a believer. Uh, and that's, that's a good application, but it's not just talking about marriage. It's talking about in any kind of, a, of an ongoing relationship, Christians don't be yoked together with, with non-Christians. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common 
Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. So, during the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at what the Bible tells us about God's people who purposely continue to sin. Now, this may sound like I'm being judgmental. Remember, when I'm pointing one finger at you, I'm pointing three at me. We're, we're all in this thing together. I'm certainly not sinless. And so I don't stand in judgment at you. What I'm doing is telling you what the Bible says. And we all need to look at what the Scripture tells us and apply it to our own lives. What the Bible says about God's people who continue in sin. If we sin, we'll start by discussing this and then we'll get on into the when Christians sin. If we sin, though, do we lose our salvation? If we have been saved, if we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, and we sin, do we lose our salvation? Now, next week, we're starting a series of five messages on this, I believe. And in message number three, we will talk about this some more, about do we lose our salvation? Can we lose our salvation? But today we'll talk about it for just a, for just a little bit too. I was uh, in, uh, let's see, I think I was in college and I lived in Roswell and I was talking to a pastor who was a uh, fall from grace type pastor. He was a pastor of one of those denominations that believe you can lose your salvation. And I asked him, I said, how do you lose your salvation? What, what makes you lose your salvation? He said, well, when you sin, you lose your salvation. And I thought, wow, nobody's got a chance, right? And so I, I said, well, uh, okay, let's say that I am dry, I, that I love Jesus, and I do. I love Jesus with all my heart. I prayed to receive him as my personal Savior. He's come into my life. My goal in life is to serve the Lord. I want to tell people about Jesus. That's, you know, that's my main purpose. But let's say I'm killed in a car wreck where I'm driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Would you agree that it is a sin for me to break the speed limit laws? He said, well, yeah, that's a sin. So I'm killed. I love Jesus, but I'm driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, so I'm going to go to hell for eternity? And he said, well. He said, there's a difference between sin and a mistake. Well, that's interesting. I said, where do you draw the line? I don't see such a line anywhere in the Bible. And I was just a smart aleck kid, and he was an older pastor. But I, I don't remember him coming up with an answer. that It was, it was kind of like, don't be silly. But where would you draw such a line? 
what would, you know, practical stuff, looking at it, can you lose your salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation. And I've got several scriptures here that we can look at real quickly. We'll go through these just to help solidify the point that you can't lose your salvation if you were genuinely saved, if you actually accepted Christ as your personal Savior and he came in through the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell you, you can't lose that. The Christian is regenerated. We were changed from within. We were made a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the verse that says we were changed. We, were, we used to be one thing. We have become a new thing. Our whole nature has changed. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes to war with our sin nature. If we are genuinely born again, is what that's talking about, being born again. If we're genuinely born again, we don't want to sin. Do we sin? Yeah. But God, I'm sorry. I did it again. I'm sorry, God. My desire is not to. My desire is to serve God. This Holy Spirit fights with our sin nature. Those who declare that they are eternally secure and then go out and happily sin on purpose and it's just fine with them in any manner they so choose, they are probably not saved to begin with since this is contrary to what the Scripture says. 1 John 2.4 says this, The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John 2, 4. Now, I call your attention to three more sets of scriptures to support the security of the believer. John 6, 37 to 40 says this. All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus talking. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. In other words, hey, I'm hanging on to you guys. But raise it up on the last day. I'm going to bring you back to life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's pretty good. That's security stuff. Then John 10, 27 to 28 says this. My sheep, this is one of those great verses that many of you have memorized. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. There is no statement in the Scripture that says, they shall never perish if they behave themselves. No, it says they shall never perish. There's the, uh, only the clear declaration that they shall never perish. Furthermore, Jesus says that, if no one shall, that, that no one shall snatch them out of his hand. 
which further emphasizes the idea that those who have eternal life will never perish. But can we snatch ourselves out of the Father's hand? Can we decide that we're going to snatch ourselves out of his hand? Well, he said, no one. Am I someone? He said, no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That includes me. I cannot snatch myself. I have two sons. They live way too far away. One of them lives in New York. The other one lives in, in uh, Dallas, Plano. My two sons could decide that they didn't want to be my sons anymore, right? They could say, Dad, we've had it with you, which they have done. <laughs> and so you're, we're not going to be your sons any longer. We don't like you anymore. Can that make them no longer my sons? No, because they were born into my family. They were born in. When we were born again into the family of God, we were born into his family. And even though we may say, God, I'm sick of you. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore, which you're not going to do. But if you did that, sorry, bud, you were born into my family, and I'm going to love you anyway. You see, we were born into the family. Oh, isn't it nice to know that we have the security of one who loves us that's going to keep us safe and secure in his hand for all eternity. Thank you, Jesus, that you're going to keep us right there no matter what. First John 2.19 says, They went out from us. Now, here's a little bit of a warning. But they were not really of us. So it says they never did actually get converted in the first place. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they were not of us. So, to me, this declares clearly that those who really are of God will remain and those who are not will leave. It does not say Christians lose their salvation. It differentiates between those who are true and false and states that the game players will leave and the true will stay. We are secure in the hand of God if we have prayed to receive him. Now, if you're having problems with that, let me suggest after this service that you get in a place by yourself and you get on your knees and you talk to God and say, God, I'm having problems with that. Let me affirm once again my personal relationship with you. I want to make sure. You know, if you've, if you've given your life to Christ, then you don't have to worry about that. But if you're having problems with the fact that you're living an ungodly lifestyle and it doesn't bother you, you need to get right. Now, that's between you and God. That's not between you and Joe Long. That's between you and God. And so I encourage you to talk to the Lord and work these things out. That's between you and him. Please understand, though, that eternal security is not a license to sin. 
Just because you have been saved doesn't mean that you can just go out and do all kinds of stupid stuff. Okay? No, because there's that verse in Romans 6.15 where Paul said, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? The King James Version, he says, God forbid. Good heavens, no. Jesus sacrificed his very life to forgive us. Are we going to just spit on that? After what he did for us? No, God forbid. Let's get rid of the sin in our lives and commit our lives to a lifestyle that brings honor to Jesus Christ. Now, about the Christian and sin. What happens when a Christian sins? Number one, sin defiles us. Sin defiles us, makes us filthy or dirty or of no value. The prophet Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 1.22. says, your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. When you refine silver, you melt it and the impurities rise to the top to be skimmed off. And that's the stuff to be getting, gotten rid of. Your sin is the dross on top of the silver. You are silver because you've been purified through the blood of Jesus Christ. But when you sin, you're putting dross in the silver. And that needs to be gotten rid of. So your sin makes you, it defiles you, our sin. Our sin defiles us and makes us not worth much. It makes us of no value. In Ezekiel 43, 8, God says, They defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So our sin not only defiles us, but it defiles God's name through us. We claim to be a Christian, and then we sin. Then we're defiling the name of Christ, Christian Sin defiles the name of Christ. Sinful conduct by God's people reflects filth on his holy name. A farmed turkey was cooked up and looked wonderful. Golden brown. Had all, oh boy, they'd been basted. and Some of y'all know how to do that. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it it looked just right. It was sliced. Everybody took a bite and immediately went, eh. Why? Because the turkey had eaten a bunch of rotten shrimp that had been put out in the garden as fertilizer. The turkey's rotten shrimp made it detestable. Sin in our lives makes our lives detestable, just like the rotten shrimp did. Our lives are ruined when we eat the decayed shrimp of sinful living. Our lives and our testimony, which is really the main reason that we're left here after we come to know Christ so that we can use our testimony for the cause of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5.11, Paul writes for us to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather 
expose them. Sin often looks good. I suppose that rotten shrimp looked good to that turkey. Sin looks good, but it's actually deadly. Stay away from it. I heard a television reporter not too terribly long ago talk about the prostitutes in Thailand. And they had video footage, and they were beautiful, beautiful women, the prostitutes in Thailand. But he said, and I'm thinking the figure was in the 80% are carrying the AIDS virus. They look good, but they're deadly. That's sin, Christian. So sin defiles us. Second, sin is contagious. Boy, you hang around sin, it's going to rub off on you most likely. We'd been out in the field up near the demilitarized zone and had taken a few casualties. And the same helicopter that came to pick up the casualties brought some new guys to take their place. And all these new guys were straight from the United States, hadn't been in, out in the field at all. And so there were, as I recall, there were like a half dozen of them or something like that. And their uniforms were all crisp and green and didn't have any mud on them or anything. They were just, boy, you could tell these were new guys. And uh, not only were they new, but as they got off the chopper, here were the casualties. There, as I remember, there were a couple of uh, KIAs killed in action and, and some wounded guys, and they were all put on the helicopter. And so that was their first vision of field life was wounded and, and dead guys being put on the helicopter. So that got their attention. And that night, as darkness started to fall, they were put on the perimeter out there, and, uh, and their job was to guard that part of the perimeter where they were, where they were put. And as darkness came, you could, I, you know, I was kind of inside the perimeter as a radio operator, but I, you could kind of feel what these guys must be feeling out there because they were brand spanking new to this part of the world. You can tell the difference between an M16 shot and an AK-47. The AK-47 was enemy round, and, and it sounds kind of a harder sound than an American M16. And so when it got really dark, all of a sudden there was one M16 shot. Blap! And then all of a sudden another one, and then more and more and more. But it was all coming from that sector where all the new guys were. And, so, and then they opened up, blah, 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 and grenades being thrown. And all kinds of, there was not a single AK-47 round being fired over there. It was contagious. They were just scared. Fear was contagious. There wasn't any enemy anywhere around us that we knew of. There, but, but it just, everybody got scared. Because one person did, more did. Sin is like that. One person rubs off on another. And the more you hang around them, the more you pick up on it. And it becomes more and more a part of your life. Because you hear it and you feel it and you grab onto it. And it's more of who you are. Remember that account in Isaiah 7 when God told Gideon to send those home who were afraid? They had had the same experience, had they? 22,000 went home, leaving Gideon with only 300 soldiers. 
Now, God was making a point. He said, you can depend on me. I'll take care of business for you. But also, everybody was scared. They hadn't trusted in God yet. Well, same thing. When we sin, it rubs off, and we become more and more involved in the sin with each other. We pick up very easily on both the good and the bad around us. Just like a disease, being around sin breeds sin in us. My wife, sweet Gloria, has a, uh, has a, a ministry to the incarcerated. I appreciated uh, Secretary Hale talking about uh, uh, under his construction. That's one of the ministries that we have been involved with. And uh, we, she writes, uh, she corresponds with inmates and been doing it for probably a dozen years now. And some of them get out and you can tell which ones are likely to stay out and which ones are likely to have a recidivism problem. The ones that go back to the old crowd that they were with before they went to prison the first time almost invariably end up back in prison. But the ones like our friend Richard, by the way, he's, he's, he and his wife, which I had the privilege of marrying, uh, they have been here to this church since I've been here. They, they came and visited one Sunday. They, he spent his eight years in prison memorizing Scripture and witnessing to the people in prison. And now he is totally committed to the Lord. He did not go back to the same people. He's got a job in construction. And I'm so proud of Richard because he is totally committed to Christ and has given up his relationship with all the old gang that he used to hang around with. Now, he's not going back. But the others, a fellow by the name of Fred, who when as soon as he got out, he got back in touch with the old gang. And... Somebody told me they saw him in a car with somebody that was carrying a weapon. And it wasn't long after that that old Fred was back in prison. You see, because you got to, sin is so easy to grab back on to. Give your life to Christ and let it make that kind of a change. Make the difference. But you may say, well, I'll hang out with the ungodly crowd, but I'll just grit my teeth and not do as they do. Have you ever seen any, have you ever done that? You know how hard it is to keep from doing the stuff that they do. It's not what Christ wants. The only time to hang out with the ungodly crowd is when you're trying to win them to faith in Jesus Christ, and they know that's what you're trying to do. That's the only time. Remember, Sin is contagious. Godliness and sin are incompatible. Verse 15 of the text, 2 Corinthians 6, says, What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, or between Christ and Satan? In other words, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Perhaps you say, yeah, but there are, and particularly young people, this is an issue. Yeah, but there are a lot of experiences I've never had, and, and I want to try a lot of stuff. I'd like to just, you know, it sounds kind of exciting out there. I'd like to experiment with a lot, of, a lot of sin. Well, there's a lot wrong with experimenting with sin, and you know that. Experimenting with sin is against God's will. 
Psalm 5710 tells us, those who love the Lord hate evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 instructs us to avoid every kind of evil. Just don't do it. That's not what God wants. Doesn't Jesus deserve better than that? And experimenting with sin will come back to bite you. There are consequences to sin. You get hooked. You get punished. Things happen in sin as a result of sin that you have to live with. Any sin can destroy our witness. Oh, that we would be conscious of our need to let our lives reflect Jesus Christ. Let our language reflect Christ in our lives. Can we do that? Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I like the interpretation that says, lead us away from temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what he wants us to be about. But I don't want to be good all the time. Do I have to be good all the time? Yeah. You know, Satan loves those words, but I don't want to be good all the time. Don't worry, you're not going to be good all the time. But work at it. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control and send a great revival in my soul. A hundred years from now, we'll all be dead. How we died... How we lived will be family trivia questions. But if we lived for Christ and used our influence for Him and taught family members to do the same, if we used our influence for Christ, the effects of our lives will still be there after we're gone a hundred years from now. The effects, the trickle-down effects, will still be there. Oh, because we will have touched lives. Who will have touched lives? Who will have touched lives? And the effects will still be there. They may not know Joe. They may not know Joe's son, Joe. But they will experience the effects because of our testimony and our witness. Now, that's the big deal. And that's what it's about, to let Jesus Christ run our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you allowing your life to be led by the Holy Spirit, directed by our great God Almighty who loves us so? Are you allowing Him to have full sway in your life like He would like to? Come out and be separate, Christian. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Christian, are you ready to recommit your life to Christ this morning? Would you do that? Or if you're not sure that you have that relationship with Christ that's for real, would you give your life to him right now?
would you talk to him and say, Jesus, I'm not sure. I just need to make sure. Would you come into my life and be my Lord? Would you be my master? I recommit myself to you 100% right now. Jesus, be my Lord, be my master. Or person who has never prayed to receive Christ, would you do that right now? Would you talk to him and say, Jesus, oh Jesus, I know you died for me and I've just never given you your rightful place in my life. Right now, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I know my sin must be paid for and that's why you died on the cross. So I now accept your death as payment for my sin. I ask you to save my soul to come into my life and to be my master. Jesus, I give myself to you. Be my savior. Would you pray that prayer right now? Would you give your life to him? Dear Jesus, I pray during this time of reflection and commitment that everybody in this room would be serious about letting you have your rightful place in our hearts and our lives, that we would give ourselves to you and that you would be Savior and Lord of each person here when we leave this room in a few minutes. Now, would you please stand, folks? And while you stand, Christians, would you continue to pray? Those of you who have a commitment to make to Christ, I invite you to come forward and to speak to one of these counselors about the next step for you to take. Jesus said, confess me before men and I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is the time to do it. Come forward and talk to a counselor about next steps. Let him pray with you or her pray with you. Give your life to Christ 100% right now. Just commit it all. He wants to be your Savior so badly. But it's a commitment that you have to make on your own. He'll not force you to do anything. It's a choice. Let Jesus be your Savior right now. This is the time. This is the time of commitment. Would you commit your life to Christ? Christian, do you need to recommit your life to Christ, to rededicate yourself to Him? this be the time when you honestly and earnestly come before our good, good Father and commit your life to Him. It's such a valuable and wonderful thing to do, to let Him be Lord of all for now and for eternity. Give it all, give it all, give it all to Jesus.
Dear Jesus, we love you so. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for sacrificing your life, for being the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Thank you that you've provided a way for us to be with you for all eternity. Oh, thank you for your love. You're such a wonderful, wonderful brother and father. Go with us from this place, I pray, and help us to not forget to put you in your rightful place. Now, folks, these counselors will be standing here at the front. If you'd like to just come up and visit with one of them when we dismissed, or if you'd just like to come and pray, whatever you need to do in your relationship with Christ, make it happen. In the precious, blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.